0: Thank you I have a loud voice but not that loud I need the mic (laughs) well it is absolutely wonderful to be in front of people again the last 18 months I've done most of my speaking in front of my camera my phone uh, and sent it off to places so I am so excited it's only my second one in real life but I know there's also a live stream so it says a really big on air there which is a little intimidating I have to say (laughs) It's like, ooh, okay. So hi and hi to everyone who is also joining. Is it working now? Do we know? It is. Great. Okay. So um, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, actually, I decided it was going to be a good idea to have a bit of an adventure and spend New Year's Eve um, in a cave. I bet none of you thought I was going to say that, did you? In a cave, literally. I have pictures of it there. It is called Priest's Hole. Uh, it is about a three hour hike up that mountain. And I, it's a crazy thing to do. I thought, I had this romanticized idea, I think, in my head of what it was going to be like. That's just me and my husband, the, the boys. we have two boys, they're 22, 23 now, and 20. And we decided to leave them with the house. Uh, and their friends and have a party and we would go off and have an adventure. So I thought it was gonna be this kind of great thing. We'd have a roaring fire and a bottle of champagne and we would, you know, just have this wonderful experience out in the wilderness. I was very, very wrong, (laughs) (laughs) very, very wrong. It was, uh, the next picture we'll show you, there was snow, that is the cave. It's not that big. And um, it was howling a gale. It was sideways rain. um, And it was freezing cold because, of course, it's the 31st of December. Again, not thought this through. Maybe more of a summer activity. Um, And there's a few things about caves that I hadn't really thought through well enough. Number one, caves don't have toilets. (laughs) Number two, uh, caves don't have kitchens. number three caves don't have beds number four caves don't have a booking system which means they're just the two of us you can't just book a cave out like anyone could come which is why it ended up being four random men my husband myself and two dogs (laughs) that's who i spent my new year's eve with And I know we're all laughing now, but I have to tell you, there was some serious low points in that night. It was pitch black. Like once the fire had died down and the wind had turned, so that was literally coming into the cave, it was, and everyone else was asleep, and it was loud because they were all snoring. And I was the only one awake and I couldn't get comfortable at all, sitting down, lying up, standing up, whichever way I tried. I was so cold, I don't think I've ever been so cold. Or if you ever felt cold come up through the ground, it comes up through the ground. I was so miserable. It was the darkest dark of dark I've ever seen in my life outside. No moon, no stars, nothing. Just howling wind, freezing cold. I was so miserable. There was nothing about this experience that was what I wanted it to be. Nothing about this experience that I'd hoped it would be. Nothing about this experience was how I'd imagined it. I was becoming increasingly frustrated. I was disappointed, and I was just downright miserable. And I could feel my emotions spiraling out of control. I could feel myself wondering if this was going to be some sort of metaphor for the year ahead, where it was, I had all these great ideas of hopes and dreams and, you know, faith of what it was going to be like, but the reality was going to be miserable and, and, and difficult and full of challenges. Um, it probably wasn't that far off because it was just before lockdown, but we won't go there. Um, but I. In the midst of that whole experience of in the, in the darkest night, in the coldest cave, I was losing my sense of perspective and my emotions were beginning to go downward, downward. And I just felt God's whisper. He said to me this, he said, Remember, David was king in the cave long before he was king in the castle. Do not let what you are looking out on affect your outlook. And it was really good advice. Who's in a cave season right now in this room? You can be honest, just wave your hand. Who is in a space, I can see a couple of hands go up, in a space where you are really struggling just to get your head around what you're experiencing right now. It's not what you thought it would be. It's difficult, more difficult than you ever thought it was going to be. Your hopes and dreams and your imaginations and your expectations are not being met right now. And you are finding it really tough to see the positive, to see the the way ahead. It's really dark and it's really difficult. And you're just downright miserable. Anyone like that right now? Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I thank you. I thank you that you have called us to see things from your perspective. Father, I thank you that you are with us in the cave. You have not abandoned us in a dark place, in a cold place, in a wet place, in an uncomfortable place. You are with us there. And Lord, I pray as we just spend the next few minutes exploring in your word how we can respond in times when our emotions feel out of control. Lord, I pray right now you would speak. Your whisper would be heard loud in people's hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a look at King David because he's an expert on caves. He spent a long time in one. In fact, he spent about three to six months, they think, theologians and clever people who know these things. um, They think about three to six months he spent in a cave on the run Though he was already anointed as king and was meant to be king, there was expectations about his life and what it should look like. Instead, he ends up on the run for his life, abandoned in a cave, alone. Uh, It's about three to six months before others find him, his family, and others come around. So he is miserable and he is alone. So let's have a little look about what he does in his cave season, because I think we can learn a few things about it. We're going to look at uh, Psalm 141. Which he wrote in the cave because it says a mask of David when he was in a cave. That's really helpful from the Psalms to tell us that he wrote this whilst he was in the cave. He says this, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Anyone else feeling that? Before him I tell my trouble. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Listen to my cry for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. There is a lot of emotion going on right there. And David chooses first and foremost to pour it out Before the Lord. He did not pretend that he was okay. He didn't do the very British, I'm all right, thank you very much. I'm fine, thanks. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. I want to kill my children, but I'm fine, thank you. There's this fake smile and this reluctance to admit that we are in need or that we are finding things difficult, especially in Christian circles where we somehow feel like we're letting people down or God down if we don't always have a smile on our face. David did not have that problem. You know, a few years ago I was skiing and I had, I've been skiing for years and years and years and I I make it my business not to touch the snow. The snow is there to get me from A to B as fast as possible. I don't want to have to touch it. So I try not to fall over this particular time a a couple of years ago. In fact, it was after this. So maybe God was warning me. um, I had a particularly bad fall and I completely ruptured my ACL, uh, which is a ligament behind your knee and you need it to kind of make your knee not go the wrong way. (laughs) And uh, I didn't know that this had happened because I'd fallen over I'd heard a bit of a pop but there wasn't really that much pain so I landed I fell all my family my sons my husband uh, was rushing around are you okay are you okay I'm fine I'm fine I'm absolutely fine, I'm okay, I'll get back up. It's just a fall, don't make such a fuss, don't make a drama, don't wanna, you know, don't wait for me, I'll be all right. And I, and I kind of, literally, I must have said I'm fine a hundred times. I'm fine, I'm fine, leave me, I'm fine. Get back up on my skis and I'm, I'm, you know, trying it out, it's fine. And then I do one little bit forward, do my first turn and then I realise I am really not fine this shooting pain. And I just collapse back on the snow. And I'm like, I'm not fine. I'm really not fine. And then we have a whole drama of having to go and get the Ski-Doo. And someone has to come and rescue me off the mountain. And as I'm lying, going backwards down the mountain on one of those, I don't know if you've ever seen them, but it's really very shameful to be taken off the mountain like that. <laughs> and uh, going backwards, and you're all like strapped in on the stretcher. And as I'm lying on the stretcher, going backwards down the mountain, um, God chooses really funny times to speak to me, by the way. Just, you'll find this out about me, me and God. And I'm lying there, again, pretty miserable. God said to me, he said, isn't it funny how rescue didn't come until you said you weren't okay? I'm like, whoa, good point. Rescue didn't come until you said you weren't okay. David's first thing here is, I am not okay I am not dealing well with this. There's no one here. I'm all alone. I need to be free from this prison. I'm in desperate need, he says. Many of us resist even that point. I'm in desperate need. Rescue doesn't often come until you say you're not okay. And you know it's okay not to be okay? We say that all the time. It's okay not to be okay. We've had that now, haven't we? For many years, there's posters. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. You can't live in that space. There needs to be a turnaround. There needs to be something that you're able to do um, that has a response to the not being okay. Maybe it's asking for help. Maybe it's being able to acknowledge your emotions. That's a really important thing about emotions. You know, emotions, are, they should be passengers in, your, in the car of your life, not in the driving seat. Because they are really just meant to signpost you to where you are in life, what's going on around you. They are, an, they are an internal response to external stuff often. And recognizing that they shouldn't be in the driving seat is a really important part of learning to manage your emotions well and learning that um, they need to not stay on the inside, they're meant to be expressed. And finding healthy ways to express emotions is an important part of learning how to manage your emotions. And did you know that actually you can lead your emotions rather than your emotions leading you? That's what I mean about emotions not being in the driving seat. They should never be the decision makers of your life. And so... I remember actually a time where this was really true for me, when I was feeling so overwhelmed by a situation. Uh, I was out of my depth. I was I, I had, if you want a, a, a kind of analogy or a picture of what I felt like, it was like being in a really, really raging sea and, and kind of going under and not being able to, like, waves of despair and hopelessness and what's the point and overwhelmed and I'm not going to make it. Those kind of feelings, really big feelings and I'm in the kitchen, and I'm, I'm, I'm making sandwiches, I'm buttering bread, I've got a knife, and I'm just there, and I just feel it, I have to stop, because I'm like, I feel this wave of emotion, and again, and again, and I feel like I'm drowning, and suddenly, I hear God say to me, right now, choose joy. I'm like, what? That is a ridiculous thing to say, Lord. You've said a lot of ridiculous things to me, but choose joy, don't you understand the situation I'm facing? Don't you know the cave I'm in right now? Don't you know that everything around me is dark and bleak and mean and horrible, and I'm gonna die, and I'm all alone? And kind of a bit of a David thing, just letting it all out. No, I right now choose joy. Like, okay, I've learned over the time to listen to what God says. He kind of knows what he's doing. Alright, choose joy. How do I choose joy? How do I choose joy? I don't I don't know how to choose joy. And then I just remember this song, this old, old song from when I was a little kid. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Any old timers in the room that know that song? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Rejoice rejoice. So I'm in the kitchen and I'm just singing it. Again, I say, and then I start getting, and then I start realising I need to start choosing joy. I need to start commanding myself from the inside out to change how I'm feeling. So rejoice, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice like David did when he says, why are you so downcast on my soul? For I will yet praise the Lord. So he's doing the same thing. Rejoice, rejoice. And And my husband walks in because I'm like marching up and down the kitchen singing with my knife and he kind of opens the door and he's like we've been married a really long time He's like he knows exactly when to leave me alone which is usually when I'm waving a knife around in the kitchen (laughs) so he's like okay bye (laughs) and I rejoice rejoice do you know something nothing changed the cave didn't disappear the situation didn't change but how I saw it started to shift. I started to feel this joy bubbling up on the inside. Nothing to do with the situation fixing itself. Nothing to do with my emotions suddenly getting okay. What it was to do was accessing the spirit. What it was to do with was submitting my emotions and kicking them out of the driving seat, putting them in the back seat and the passenger seat where they belong and go, I'm going to put Jesus in the driving seat. I'm going to put my spirit up front. I'm going to choose to do what the Lord has told me to do and allow him to stir things up on the inside. I ended up laughing in the kitchen by myself. Again, probably not a time for anyone to be there with me. maniac laughing, singing and waving a knife around. But I know it was a life-transforming experience for me because I knew then that when God says you can choose an emotion, I realized you can. And guess what? It obeyed. I felt better. My emotions began to reshift. You know, emotions, uh, Jesus, you know, it's a very famous scripture. It says as in John 11 that Jesus wept. And it's the shortest sentence in the Bible. I find it a fascinating scenario because Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus. He's been dead for a little while now. Everyone is really really sad. The emotion the atmosphere is grief. It's loss. It's probably frustration it's probably sadness uh, it, frustration anger because Jesus didn't come in time so they thought and it's too late. It's the why. It's You know how many times we ask the Lord why? If only you'd have come earlier. If only this wouldn't have happened. There was a lot of if only's and Jesus knows he's a about to raise Lazarus from the dead he could have come into that situation full of faith and you know come on now no what's all the crying about we're going to see a miracle happen in this place no 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 no. he walked in and he sensed he knew he could see it says he was moved with compassion he allowed his emotions to have a voice and to have a place and to have the right place and so he wept Though he knows it's only temporary, because here's the thing, emotions are only temporary. They're supposed to be signposts for where you find yourself. And where he found himself in that moment was grief, was sadness, and was a loss. And so the appropriate response was to cry. Knowing that it was temporary, knowing that a miracle was about to happen, he still gave his emotions voice and gave them space. David went directly to God with how he felt. He allowed himself to not be okay. He allowed himself to not be okay with God. There's other Psalms where he's like, where are you? How, come, how long are you going to leave me like this? How long are you going to leave me down in the dirt, Lord? So he has got the confidence and the closeness of relationship with God to actually be real even with God. Do you know that God is not afraid of your emotions. He's not afraid of your negative emotions. He's not afraid of your anger. You can be the most honest you ever want to be with anybody with God. You don't have to put a face on. You don't have to say, I'm okay, thanks. You don't have to say the Christian thing of amen and hallelujah. When it's you and God, you can actually express exactly how you feel. He can take it. He's okay with that. He's going to allow you the honour and the privilege of having your emotions, owning your emotions, expressing your emotions. It's okay not to be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. When you pour them out before God, you give an opportunity for God to speak into it, to, uh, to help you respond well. There's some practical things you can do when you find yourself overwhelmed, you can do what I did and sing a little song in the kitchen, wave a knife. You can write stuff down. You can go for a walk. You can. There's ways that you can find that works for you to get those emotions out from the inside out. There's another thing that David did in his cave. Um, he magnified God's name, not his pain. Yes. He went there with God. Yes, he was real about where he was feeling and what he was feeling. Yes, he expressed um, his disappointment and his anger. But he also chooses to change that. Like I just explained about singing my song and how the singing of the song, how the raising of my voice in worship shifted the atmosphere. David does the very same thing in the cave. Because you see, when you're in a cave... I know this because I've been in a cave. It amplifies. Every sound is amplified. It echoes back to you. I know that because there was a snorer in the cave. It was loud. When you find yourself in a cave season, when you find yourself overwhelmed, surrounded, not sure how to express what's going on on the inside of you, there's an amplification that can happen. And if you amplify the negative, if you amplify the down, the, uh, that just gets louder and louder. It echoes back to you. David chooses, in Psalm 57, and I don't have it on there, I'm afraid, chooses to amplify God's name, not his pain. It says in Psalm 57, and again, we know that he wrote this in the cave because it says, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. Helpful context. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to you, God most high, who vindicates me. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This isn't after. This is still in. He's still in the cave. Let your name be exalted. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. He's leading his emotions here. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. Notice, I will awaken the dawn, meaning it is still dark. Dawn hasn't come yet. The light hasn't seeped through yet. The situation hasn't changed yet. But yet he is exalting the name of the Lord. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing. Of you among the peoples, for great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted. Imagine that echoing in the cave as he's singing, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. You know, by exalting God, he decreases the power the cave could have over him. That season of darkness, that season of difficulty, that season of loss, of grief, of pain, you decrease the power of that by exalting and magnifying the name of Jesus. Psalm 22 tells us that God inhabits the praise of his people. That means when you feel far away from God, when you feel like he's disconnected and you feel alone and abandoned in a cave, that is precisely the time to raise your voice. That is precisely the time to fill your mouth and your heart with a song of praise to the Lord. Because he inhabits, that means he lives in the praise of his people So when you, as his people, as this person, as the one who loves God, if you lift your voice in praise, there is a promise in the word that he will live there. He draws him close. He can't help himself but inhabit the praises that you bring forth. And you know something else that I've learned about worshipping when you don't feel like it? When it doesn't seem like the time to worship, it seems like the time to panic. I have found that that atmosphere that comes when you worship, that sacrifice of praise, the worship that comes when you are just being obedient to worship the Lord, the enemy hates it. Everything that darkness stands for, it says in the word that the enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy. So everything that he stands for, Stealing your joy, stealing your peace, killing your hope, killing your dreams, everything that he is on a mission to achieve, one of the things he hates more than anything else is the presence of God. It repels him. Where God lives is where he does not want to be. So when you are in a cave, my suggestion, when you're in that season of cave, my suggestion is make it a cave that has Jesus in it too. Bring him in with your worship. Bring him in with with your declaration of who Jesus is. You know what I found? When I have praised him in my cave, and I've been in a few, I've been in real ones, and I've been in spiritual ones, and I've been in situational ones. When I have found myself in caves, and I have worshipped Despite the circumstances, I have found that I don't need to run to the throne room of a castle. But the throne room runs to me. The heavenly throne finds its presence right where I am. I don't have to go anywhere. It comes to me. So even in your cave, even in your darkness, even in your difficulty, even in your challenges, even in your adversity... The throne room of heaven, the peace and the joy, the strength, the wisdom that comes from his presence can be found right there in amidst your difficult circumstances. Let me tell you one more thing, because we're going to close because I want to do a bit of prayer. One more thing about this story and about what happens around David when he is in his cave season. When he is managing all those emotions, when he is choosing what to do and how to respond, one of the things that really strikes me is that a cave is accessible to all. Remember, now he is a king. He's already been anointed as king. And remember what God told me in the cave he learned how to be a king in the cave long before he was a king in the castle. Something about being a king, carrying yourself in the way David carried himself in the cave, that is so powerful it attracts people. You see, there's no, there's no, like I said, no booking system for the cave. Anybody can go. There's no walls, no moat, no guards, no pomp or ceremony that you might have with a castle. No way to behave. No you know, hoops to jump through. There's something about a cave that's just open to all. And David, if you don't know the story, actually in that cave season, men, mighty men of God, although they didn't even know they were that yet, found him there. In fact, it it says in the word that they were men that were disenfranchised, distressed. They were in debt, They were those who would never have been allowed anywhere near a castle. And yet they found David in a cave. And David, because of the man he was and because of the heart he had for God and because of the way he was able to lead himself, even in dark times, he led them. And he turned those men from the disenfranchised and from the lost and the broken into mighty men of God. His army came to him, not when he was in a castle, but when he was in a cave. And there's something about that. There's something about dark times, which we are all in right now. There are um, all sorts of things going on in our world. We could really, if you think about it, be in a global cave right now. It's been a really tough season for many, many people. And churches, this church, our church, every church around this globe, my prayer is, is that we are those who are kings in a cave. That we attract those who are lost and broken and have nowhere to go, who would never get into a castle. Let's not build castles as churches. Let's be kings in the cave. I wonder if we can stand together. I'm going to invite the band up. Kind of rushed through. What time does this meeting finish? <laughs> Whenever I want to, don't say that. <laughs> Ten minutes are <laughs> so good. I feel like there's... Um, there's some gifts of encouragement that God wants to give. Because I feel some are... Really tired. Just really tired. You're not sleeping. Got a lot on your mind. You're carrying so much. And I think there's going to be a little bit of a divine exchange happening this morning. So I wonder if we can just close our eyes for a moment and just focus on the Holy Spirit.